you are listening to Wicked Good Lawyers Podcast. I'm your host, Shiloh Maloney, and I am so excited to be on this journey with all of you. Because this is our first episode, I wanted to share a little bit about myself and the show. I am a fifth-year associate at Barton Gilman in our Boston office. I focus mainly on litigation work in a variety of practice areas such as family, divorce, probate, creditor default, medical malpractice defense, insurance coverage and defense, and a few others. Outside of the office, I really enjoy spending time on pro bono projects in the community, as well as being on various boards, such as with the Fitchburg State University, Claims Litigation Management, as well as the Massachusetts Bar Association. I currently live in Peabody with my amazing fiance, Stephen Luna, and our beautiful golden retriever puppy, Penelope. So if you ever want to see pictures of Penelope, please give me a shout out. I'm happy to share because I'm obsessed with her. Aside from that, this podcast is supposed to be a platform not only for myself to meet all these amazing attorneys across the country, but for you to do the same. I hope you learned some helpful information about the ongoing world work culture in the industry, but also you're able to connect with me and so many other attorneys. I really want people to find support and humor in this somewhat difficult field, and I hope that everyone enjoys listening to each segment. The plan is to have two episodes a month with amazing trailblazer attorneys teaching us how to become wicked good lawyers. Last but not least, if you're interested in being one of my cool guests on the show, or if you're even interested in being a sponsor of the show, feel free to reach out. The email address is wickedgoodlawyers at gmail.com. But first, a quick message from our show sponsors. Many litigation attorneys struggle to collect, review, and produce electronic information including emails, texts and chats, social media posts, and e-docs. At Datamine Discovery, they soundly collect, process, and upload this data to an efficient hosted review platform at an affordable price, allowing you to organize your discovery in one place, collaborate with your team and experts, withhold and tag for privilege, and find relevant documents more quickly for production. Every litigator deserves to have eDiscover review software that is efficient and affordable with access to customer service and project managers that make them feel supported. Hundreds of litigation attorneys from Boston and beyond trust DataMine every month to assist them with eDiscovery. You should too. U.S. Legal Support offers on-demand access to more than 12,000 offices in over 2,700 cities across the country and has working business relationships with 5,000-plus independent court reporting professionals. No matter where you need them or your state's requirement, they can provide an experienced professional court reporter for any situation, deposition, arbitration, trial, interview, anywhere in the United States. They have established the largest network of specialized, professional, and experienced court reporters in the United States and abroad. Whatever your litigation needs may be, reach out to U.S. Legal Support.
Hi, listeners to Wicked Good Lawyers. This is Shia Maloney, and I'm so excited to introduce our first guest that we've ever had on the show, Stisha Emanuel. Yes. Um, So Stisha Emanuel is a partner at McCarter and English LLP, where she practices in product liability and employment law. She's the former president of the Massachusetts Black Lawyers, and among several awards and recognitions, she's received and was named the top 40 under 40 by the Boston Business Journal and one of the top women of the law by the Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. So I'm happy and excited to introduce Stisha. Hello. Hi, Stisha. Thanks for joining us. Of course, not a problem. I feel honored for this to be my first episode and to share with you. I mean, you're very well known in the legal community, especially in Massachusetts. And I just love everything that you've done. So I'm really excited to have you here today as our first guest. And just to share with our listeners, the way it kind of works is we're going to break up the episode into three different segments. The first one is called Hi, My Name Is. The second one is First Year to Partner. And then the third is on gender disparities and litigation in the legal industry. So let's kick it off. So I wanted to start with the Hi, My Name Is. And no, this is not going to be a poor rendition of Eminem's song, which I love. <laughs> and I could totally attempt it, but probably better not. Um, You're aging us. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. So today we, I want to discuss why in the world, Stisha, can people not spell, say, our names? I mean, I know they're unique, but do you have any insight on this? It kind of blows my mind as of 2022. You know, well, with the name Stisha Aldine Emanuel Laborde, um, <laughs> I have intentionally not even used my married name professionally. Oh, um, wow. Because I, you know, realized saying Stisha is already difficult enough for folks. And <laughs> if you see the way that Laborde is spelled, it's it's equally not spelled the way it's pronounced. Right. Um, and so I think it's a combination of things, you know, seeing that I've had this name my entire life I've learned to roll with the punches I know when people are trying to say my name you see that awkward pause um and then the look of concern and fright (laughs) um (laughs) and so sometimes you know I'll I'll throw them a bone and just say Stisha other times you know I'll just wait for them to mispronounce it first (laughs) (laughs) see what they say yeah right I do that Um, yeah and you know it's it's interesting to me. I don't mind if someone sees my name and mispronounces it, right? right? It's a different type of name. What I do get frustrated by, and I know you and I have talked about this um, prior, is if I write an email yes. and I sign it with my name, please then don't refer to me as Emmanuel because that's not my first name. I signed right. it as Stisha. And so it is super frustrating to me. If, you know, my name is in my email and you still get it wrong. I agree. That's the thing. Like, yes, in person, I have the same situation. I always go about it as someone's like, oh, hi. And a lot of times they'll say Shayla, even though there's no A before the Y. So I'll be like, oh, hi. Yeah, my name is Shyla. And just to be like more casual and not like abrasive, I guess. But the email thing, that is like, especially I'll send the first email it has my name not only typed out myself saying sincerely, but then in the signature block. Yeah. And then they reply and it's wrong. I'm like, don't rely right. on word. I know how to spell my name. <laughs> right. Well, not only that, but um, and, and what I hate is then the absence of the name. 
So I don't know if you ever get these emails where you get good morning and then they just go into the body of the text. Like that drives me nuts as well. Yeah. Like, no, say my name, please. <laughs> um, let's do Destiny's Child if we're throwing in different songs. Yes, love that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me. And in some ways it's actually disrespectful. Um, I think so. it is disrespectful. Yeah, because I try to take the time. Maybe it's because I have a unique name or I know what happens. I do try to take the time to ask, oh, how do you pronounce it? So they don't feel uncomfortable or they know that I'm willing and open to learn their name. Sometimes I feel like it's almost like, yeah, I'm beneath them or they don't feel the need to know what my name is, but that's who I am. And I'm here to work with you or be an ally or whatever it is. So I definitely hear you on that. You know what's really funny, um, and, and, and it's a comment that you said that struck me, is that you noted that you don't want to seem abrasive when you're telling people how to pronounce your name correctly. Yeah. It yeah. should never be that you're being abrasive. You're correcting someone and something they got wrong. Yeah. Um, so, like, the fear that we even have <laughs> of seeming, like, abrasive or rude or, like, no, it's just our name. I'm yes. Just, and it is nice to hear that, to know like it's valid to just tell them what your real name is. But I do, yeah. I feel that I'm like, I don't want them to think I'm being rude, but I, I, how is it being rude when I'm telling them what my real name is? I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I have one funny story for you um, that you may or may not care to hear, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you anyways, because I think it's really important for yes. folks, especially who are in law school and are intimidated in this setting. Um, I had this amazing criminal law professor um he was great but always mispronounced my name in class oh, yeah and I would not correct him um, <laughs> and so he would just say Stesha up and down the wazoo and you know my my classmates would chuckle after a while because they all knew like how to pronounce my name by that point um because I had told them <laughs> um and you know and for some reason I was just fearful because you know, this was a well-respected, highly regarded professor. I didn't want to seem like, again, like you said, being abrasive um, with telling him how to say my name. And so I remember I finally gathered the courage the last day of class <laughs> where he called on me. And then I said, you know, I say, you know, professor, just to FYI, you've been saying my name wrong this entire <laughs> semester. And I was chuckling when I did it. And it was soft. And at that yeah. point, this professor and I had a really great relationship. Um, and so he was like, oh, my gosh. And then literally the entire class burst into applause because oh. they were finally like, oh, you finally told Good him for that you yeah. your name wrong. Um, so just to all the listeners out there, don't be scared. No matter who they are, uh, it could be the president of the United States. Just tell them how to say your name. Say your name, say your name. Yes, I love it. That's awesome. Do you have any advice in trying to overcome this issue? I mean, we've kind of talked about it a bit. I, on my end, try to not assume how to spell it or say it. I try to ask if it does seem different. Um, and then sometimes I double check a signature block on their email, or even I try to go the extra mile, say I don't know the person yet. It's a new introduction. I'll double check the website, see what it says there, see if I can find any other information. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of ways to overcome it. One, you just apologize in advance and say, hey, you know, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, you know, and then you say your name and or that person with a unique name will give you the out and pronounce it for you. Um, and I, I think that that's perfectly fine. 
Um, one of the cool things I, I've started to see some law firms do is in parentheses, put how to say someone's name phonetically. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, yeah. And so similar to, you know, the pronouns. And I was like, that is an amazing idea, uh, um, you know, and maybe you can start incorporating in your signature block or suggest it to um, whatever firm organization you're working with. Because again, I think, you know, your name is important. That's your identity. Um, right. And so, you know, we understand it may be unique and you may not be able to pronounce it, but, you know, there are a lot of names out there in the world that, you know, are hard to pronounce that you figured <laughs> out how to pronounce. And so you can figure out ours. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I like that. I haven't seen that before. And that's definitely something to bring back to the office to see what other places are doing too. That mm -hmm. sounds great. Thanks for sharing our insight. That's our funny segment on Hi, My Name Is. Well, since we have you here, I really want to learn more about you, Sisha, your experience, your childhood, everything that makes you, you. So um, I know you're a partner. I know you're a recent mom of two, which is awesome. Congratulations. And thank, thank you, you for being here. And you're a well-known advocate in the courtroom, but also in the community, which says so much about you. But please tell me, who is Stisha Emanuel? Ah, that's an interesting um, <laughs> question. <laughs> I don't know how much time we have to talk about who Stisha Emanuel is indeed. Uh, but I'll start by saying I am a daughter of Boston, Dorchester to be specific, and grew up in a household where education was really important. My dad immigrated from Haiti and didn't have all of the educational opportunities that you have here in the U.S., um, and my mom, while she was here, equally was a strong advocate for education. That's something, you know, no one can take away from you. And in particular, in the Haitian culture, um, there's really only three career paths that you can choose. And that is lawyer, doctor, or engineer. <laughs> Good thing <laughs> you picked so, one, I guess. Right. <laughs> and so my dad told me from <clears throat> an early age, like, oh, you're going to be a doctor. And he told my sister, you know, you'll be the, you know, the the lawyer. To which I responded, wait, what? No, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> Good for you, know, you to stand and, up for yourself. Right, right. But that probably also gave him the inkling that maybe he should have said the lawyer for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I fought it for a while, though, to be honest, because I didn't want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I wanted to create my own path, my own lane. And, you know, while I understood, you know, and, and totally adopted their philosophy in education and making sure that I always strove to do my best, I was just like, you know, I'm not sure about law. Like, how would I, how do I see myself and my personality fitting into that world. And then throughout, you know, uh, my time at Brown, so I attended Brown and double concentrated in political science and Africana studies, um, had the opportunity to study abroad at the University of Cape Town. And oh, cool. studied, yeah, it was amazing. I would highly recommend if anyone ever has an opportunity to study abroad, they should. Yeah. Uh, and there I did comparative politics and again was still thinking about okay can I incorporate law can I see myself in law mm -hmm. um, and it was between law and education really at that point point. and then I, I decided 
to let me try law, to use that as a way to fuse together both of my passions, which is really educating folks, making sure they have the resources and the tools they need to succeed. And so I was going to go into education reform policy so that I can create yeah, so I can create policy. As you can see from my intro, I am very far <laughs> from education reform policy. But yeah, no, that was my plan. Go to Washington um, and, and, you know, do some legislation, write up some laws and, and yeah. go from there. It didn't, it didn't so happen that way, but that's okay. And I, I think in terms of, you know, just me and my motivation beyond just, you know, my family is I grew up in a community where I can probably count on my hand in terms of my middle school classmates, how many, you know, went to college, same with high school. Yeah. I can then count how many have, you know, a graduate degree, you know, and it's not necessarily saying that a graduate degree is a pathway for everyone. It's not. There are amazing opportunities and careers that doesn't require it. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, Right. But, but I think it is important to say, okay, well, where is the gap though? You know, and is it a choice or is it because they didn't have the resources or the opportunity? And, you know, again, I, I'm a first generation baby going and finishing college and then of course law school. And I didn't see many lawyers that looked like me growing up. I didn't see any, actually not many, I didn't see any. I didn't know <laughs> a black lawyer. Yeah. Um, and so until I got to college and I happened to meet this very low pro- profile lawyer by the name of Mo Cowan. Yeah. <laughs> and we all know Mo is not low profile nope. at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, that was like, you know, really my first encounter. And and so I had an idea in my head that if I do choose law, that I want to make sure that I'm giving back to the community, that I am an ambassador and a representative, and that I make sure that there are other black and brown kids growing up that they see lawyers that look yeah. like them. And they realize they're rel- yeah. yeah, they're relatable. They're from the same neighborhood. I mean, one time I went back to my old high school and was talking to some kids and, you know, one of the students came to me afterwards and was like, you're not from Dorchester. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know I don't have the accent, <laughs> but I promise I am. And they're like, you know, and the fact is they thought that they really could not relate to me. They were like, there's no way that this girl went through the same experiences I went through, you know, same socioeconomic, you know, hurdles. And is you know a partner at a law firm right you know almost too good um, to be true they couldn't really just accept it yeah right right um and and you know you sometimes see these like amazing achievements like you know Barack Obama becoming the first president and you're like the first black president you're like oh my gosh that's amazing that's amazing yeah yeah but that's not close to home right so then when you see someone that's close to home and you're like oh well you're a partner or you're an ex you know you're a CEO of whatever corporation it's almost kind of hard for you to accept that that could be your reality. It's almost like big shoes to fill for like lack of a better term. They're almost nervous to have that opportunity. They've always felt like that isn't in the reach for them. But right. then at some points, I hope it motivates them to say, look, wow, I can do all these great things. So I can right. definitely see both sides of the coin. In regards to your background, what do you think was different for you? Did you see it as you had more support at home, more opportunity, or is it more of your personality? You're more personally driven. You had all these things that you wanted to do and you just 
put everything into it and did that? I think it was a blend, um, to be honest. Um, I can't say it's exactly one thing. It was the perfect storm, perfect <laughs> ingredients. And, you know, I, I think from an early age, my dad was always like an entrepreneur and trying different things and different businesses and some that made sense and some that really didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the fact is that he was just ambitious and tried. And I was like, well, I can do that too. Um, and I do do that in the law. And so, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about my practice areas in a bit, but one of the ways that I distinguish myself beyond just having a unique name is that I realized, you know, you can infuse a lot of your life experiences into the law. Yes. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's all about creating the narrative and the story. So whether you're on a pitch, whether you're in a courtroom, whether you're in mediation, how are you bringing the audience into your story or into your client's story? How can you be an advocate? And so I think about that a lot because I feel like that that is maybe where a lot of people miss the opportunity. Yes. And if you can create the story and bring them in, then you probably have a better chance at succeeding at whatever goal you're trying to achieve. And then the other part of it is understanding that you need to be multilingual. So again, I grew up in a household that was. Now, can I speak Haitian Creole fluently? Absolutely not. Don't try to ask me. Um, That's a pop quiz today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I will sound terrible. But I think similarly in law, you have to realize that you need to be speaking multiple languages. So when you're talking to your client, you're conveying the same message that you would in court, but you're using different terminology because you want to, again, meet the, meet the person where they are and speak their language. Right. And so I think me being able to be conversant with all the folks, giving them the same message, but just, you know, in the way that they will receive it has been very helpful. And that was just a blend of growing up in a household that you had to do a lot of that. And then also in the education world where, you know, you also have to do a lot of that. I think that's a great point, bringing basically your own unique narrative, how you can bring that to the table for a mediation and a court in any type of conversation with a potential client of opposing counsel, but then also going to your point where you want to meet them at the table where they are, you know, the legalese might not mean the same to your client as they would in court, but it right. is, it does take that extra level to be able to do both. So I, I appreciate that um, comparison for sure. And I know you said you went to Brown for college. Remind me where you went for law school. Northeastern. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, right in Boston. And yeah. did you still want to do education a reform when you went to Northeastern? Yeah, I mean, I specifically chose Northeastern because of their amazing co-op opportunities. And um, my first two internships, one was at the U.S. Department of Education, because I was, again, <laughs> yeah. very upset Kidding, yeah. doing this type of law um, in the Office for Civil Rights. And then the other was, you know, um, interning with uh, the retired uh, former Judge Cratsley. Um, mm -hmm. who was at Suffolk Superior Court, who was amazing um, and helped me to, again, learn the whole legalese and how to write, as they would say, um, mm -hmm. and how to communicate, but also how a judge assesses what you write and what's yeah, important is, and what's not. Yeah, I feel like that would help anybody, especially if you're going to be a practicing attorney to see oh, that side of things. Oh, yeah. And I mean, 
I'm a litigator now. So all of my experiences have definitely helped. And in fact, after I graduated from law school, I was able to obtain clerkship with the Massachusetts Appeals Court with Judge Brown for two years. That was amazing as well, because not only did you get to see all of these great litigators who had argued, you know, below, but now you're reading their appellate briefs, Mm -hmm. but you're also learning what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. And and so like preserving the record or, you know, motions to strike evidence that's hearsay that comes in sometimes in summary judgment or other things, you know, so many small little things that you could do. Yeah. And I don't think I would have appreciated it as much as I do now because I had that clerkship experience. It is unique, especially I do litigation as well, as you might know, at Barton Gilman, and you don't always get the opportunity to see things on appeal. So it's nice to get that opportunity, especially so new out of law school to see, okay, what should I do during trial that will help my client to be successful if we end up needing to appeal? So that is a super unique opportunity. And as most of us know in the industry, clerkships are super competitive. So you not only had one in law school, but then you also got one post-grad. Can you share with us any tips or what you did to kind of set yourself up to leverage your first clerkship into your post-grad clerkship? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think, you know, you, and, and I tell this to my mentees all the time, don't take yourself out of the race. Yeah. So a lot of times... You know, you get lawyers who are like, I don't go to X school. And so there's no chance in heck that I would ever (laughs) get this clerkship. And I'm like, well, then, yeah, you're not going to get this clerkship because you've never even put your hat in the ring. Um, And so, you know, yes, you want to have, you know, a somewhat competitive academic record. But there are other unique experiences that you can bring to the table. So my judge in particular, not only did he look at your academic background and your clerkships, but he also had, he was very active in making sure that he brought along diverse law students who were interested in litigation. So speaking to that in my cover letter, I believe also helped. It helped that, you know, I did more outside of just my academic record. So I love to be engaged in, you know, a lot of community-based organizations, especially in and around Boston. And so I'm sure that those things definitely helped elevate me. And it made me a more, or seem like more of a well-rounded person. So I'm not just doing well, and then that's it. I'm not a part of the community. It's I'm doing well, but I'm also a part of the community and trying to get back. Yeah. And I think that says a lot in our industry, generally, even if it's not a clerkship, whatever position you're going for, it's a way to set yourself apart, but it also isn't an obligation. It's kind of just being a good person, things you're interested in, things that motivate you. You could be on the board of anything you love, whether it's like a local soccer team, a local YMCA, a church, anything that you find interesting. And it just shows them that you are more personable You have Mm -hmm. connections to the community that you don't just check off boxes. So I appreciate you sharing that side of things too. And with your clerkship, is it typically two years long or how does it work? No, typically it's one year. I had the unfortunate misfortune of being in those years where law firms weren't hiring. (laughs) And so, you know, those class sizes went from like 50 to two people. (laughs) Um, Hopefully that um, doesn't come back. I don't know. 
Right, I know. Jeez. So, you know, if it does, though, folks, don't worry. It will bounce back. It always <laughs> bounces back. There's options. Yeah, it always keep bounces fresh, back. Keep learning. Yeah. Yes, yes. Your, so you had two years there. And when you were graduating law school, did you always long-term transition into saying, I want to be at a firm? Or were you still hoping to do legislative work? Well, see, by that point, the other two co-ops that I did not mention were at law firms. Oh, okay. Um, and I was like, well, you know, litigation is interesting. Um, I might not want to be stuck in like a cubicle, you know, writing policies as much as I, I really like and enjoy that work. I think I'd miss talking to people and miss this idea and this opportunity to advocate. And I realized, oh, wait, if I'm in litigation, technically speaking, I'd be educating, right? And I'm educating right. you on my client's product or educating you on the law or okay. why it should apply or not. And so I said, okay, you know, maybe litigation is the way to go. Did you do an internship at McCarter in English during law school? Or was that just something you found after your clerkship? I did not. Um, I didn't start off at McCarter in English. I actually, after my clerkship, went to a now- dissolved law firm that was a nationwide law firm but Claire Ryan I believe they had an office in every state in the United States and was an associate there for a while and then was at Todd and Weld okay, which yeah. um as yeah and if you're in you know the state of Massachusetts you know Todd and Weld very well because yes, yeah. <laughs> they are always in the courtroom <laughs> um, um and very very active and trial lawyers and amazing and great and then from Todd and Weld I went over to McCarter in English where I've been for the past what five and a half almost six years nice yeah and it is nice to hear I know it's a big difference than say law students that graduated in the 80s where they might have stayed at one firm forever mm -hmm. for a really long time now I'm seeing even myself you start at a, one place you get some experience you try to learn what you like go somewhere else so it's nice to hear that that's what you did as well how did you end up at McCarter in English? It's a unique story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're so here for, Stisha. I know. I got you right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let me spill some tea then. Um, <laughs> Whatever you can share. If not, that's okay too. No, no, it's not super confidential. But it does go to what we were talking about earlier in this idea that, you know, if you put yourself out there in the community and people begin to know you and they begin to know your reputation, then they start to want to know what you're doing professionally. And that is what happened to me. I, I had met a partner at McCarter in English a while back and, you know, she followed a lot of my work. I, you know, would, you know, periodically reach out to her and just, you know, to say hi and then check in and a opportunity popped up on her litigation team and she just reached me, That's reached out awesome. to me directly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and said, hey, you want to come over? And I think one of the most unique things about that experience and, and one that I always tell, it, and it's for this reason. So at the time I was pregnant with my first child. Okay. And I had told this partner, like, oh, thanks, you know, for this opportunity. Uh, it sounds amazing, but, you know, I, I know you haven't seen me in a while physically. Wow, <laughs> you're very I, candid. Okay. Yeah, I was like, but yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, pregnant, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and and I and I guess it, looking back, maybe that was a little bold, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. It's not like I could hide the baby. Or the right? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by the way, you're hiring two of us. <laughs> right. 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 And so, um, 
her response though was what was the greatest thing one of the greatest things i've heard she said oh congratulations sometimes women get pregnant when do you want to start wow that is amazing especially in the legal industry oh yeah oh yeah wow Um, applause to them like that says a lot about a place i think oh absolutely um and the person who you're going to be working with right yeah your supervisor the person that you see as a mentor yeah that's really that's really great yeah yeah so that that was really really nice enjoy that story for sure so your typical work I know you're saying you do product liability work right and then what else do you kind of focus on so I do product liability specifically pharmaceutical litigation as well as toxic torts mass torts class actions I also do employment law so your discrimination cases, your internal investigation. So both are very, very different um, practice areas. But the one common thread, and it goes back to what I've said earlier, which is it allows for me to create the narrative and the story. Yeah. Because with product liability, oftentimes you have to educate, you know, folks on your client's products. I do defense work. So a lot of times it is, you know, this specialized computer program or, you know, um, the specialized equipment that, you know, isn't common usage. How do I explain it? And then how do I explain that it's not defective? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, you know, with employment law, depending on what the circumstances are, it's it's the same thing, particularly with internal investigations. There, it's not your narrative or your client's narrative. It's really the narratives of each of the witnesses that you interview and being able to assess what are they saying, you know, and of course, taking it at face value, what is the evidence saying, the written evidence, what's contemporaneous, and then coming up with some findings. It's nice to do a couple practice areas that you feel like you almost specialize in, but also having that feeling of still doing good. I know sometimes private practice doesn't always get the best rap of doing good, but it is there. There's any day in court you're advocating for somebody, something, and that says a lot. So the various areas I think are helpful for any person looking to find their avenue. It might not be what you were thinking initially, similar to Stisha's story with the education, but you find a way to loop in what you like into the practice areas that you find interesting as well. So I know you kind of shared some of this already, but what gets you excited each day for work? Oh, wow. That is different. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, you know, some days it's, <laughs> it's a fire drill and I'm responding to, you know, uh, emotions to compel that I didn't expect to come down the pipeline. And I have only a certain amount of days to do it under, you know, rule 9A. Um, <laughs> I love rule 9A. <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> I know people cannot see my face, but I say that with all the sarcasm in the yes, world. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> Me too. Um, you know, and then, you know, talking to my clients and again, being able to strategize with them and really be a partner with them. That is really important for me and how I approach litigation is I want to be a partner with you. And so let's talk through the strategies. I'm going to give you my my take on it. And then, you know, you can give me your comments and then we can find a way to to meld the two. I think that's a great transition into discussing your advice for people looking to become a partner. But before we jump into that, let's take a quick break to hear from our show sponsors. 
U.S. Legal Support offers on-demand access to more than 12,000 offices in over 2,700 cities across the country and has working business relationships with 5,000-plus independent court reporting professionals. No matter where you need them or your state's requirement, they can provide an experienced professional court reporter for any situation. Deposition, arbitration, trial, interview, anywhere in the United States. They have established the largest network of specialized, professional, and experienced court reporters in the United States and abroad. Whatever your litigation needs may be, reach out to U.S. Legal Support. Many litigation attorneys struggle to collect, review, and produce electronic information, including emails, texts and chats, social media posts, and e-docs. At Datamine Discovery, they soundly collect, process, and upload this data to an efficient hosted review platform at an affordable price, allowing you to organize your discovery in one place, collaborate with your team and experts, withhold and tag for privilege, and find relevant documents more quickly for production. Every litigator deserves to have eDiscover review software that is efficient and affordable with access to customer service and project managers that make them feel supported. Hundreds of litigation attorneys from Boston and beyond trust Datamine every month to assist them with eDiscovery. You should too. And we're back. So Cisha, I think what some of our listeners would love to hear is how you became partner at your current firm and steps mm-hmm. you took or steps people can take in general to kind of get on the same track. Um, I guess I'll start with my first question. Did you know when you transitioned over that the position was quote unquote partnership track? Yes. Okay. Um and that was really important to me. So that's one of the things I talked about before transitioning over. Um, at a certain point in your career um, as an associate, especially at a law firm, you kind of have to hunker down yes. and, and decide this is where I want to make my home in order to become partner. Because you know, at a certain point, you can't jump around and then still be wanting to be considered partner. Now, once you're a partner and you lateral over somewhere, that's a different story. Yeah. But, you know, as an associate, once you get to kind of like that mid-year, so I would say around five, six years, you really want to be in a place where you can see yourself for the long call to make partner. Yeah. And you felt that way when you were going over to McCarter in English? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the congratulations um, <laughs> some women have, um, you know, sometimes women get pregnant comment to just, you know, the re- the resources, the um, practice areas that they had. It, it was exciting being a part of a firm that, you know, has multiple offices and was still growing um, was exciting as well. So that's, you know, one of the motivating factors. And what were some of the things you looked for? I know as a woman myself, I always also try to look for women in positions that I could see myself in as well. It kind of shows representation. And it's just always nice to know somebody's in a position who will understand things you're going through or hope to go through in your life. Is that something you also looked for in uh, your transition? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, and I wasn't shy about talking to current attorneys who were there who either had really small children or who had just made partner just to kind of get a sense of what is the vibe um and and it's always going to be different at different law firms and 
depending on who you're speaking to, they are all going to have different experiences. Right, yeah. uh, so you can't really take that as face value. I almost equate it to, you know, going on Amazon and trying to um, buy a product and then you go to the reviews and then it runs the gamut. <laughs> yes, and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, which review do I like actually adopt <laughs> and accept? That's a good comparison. Yeah, you'll have one that's saying this product is awesome and it's the best thing since sliced bread. And then another like, this is awful and I had to return it. I'm like, oh man. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's helpful for our listeners, especially younger ones. I always say if you're interviewing, ask to talk to other associates in the firm. if, If you're moving forward with the interviews, if you really think it's a place you want to settle down. Also, I say you never really know a place till you're there. So similar yep. to your review situation, you might be the five-star review and there are people who just, it's not the same fit for them, but that's right. person to person. So I, I think people will resonate with that, but that's good advice to talk to associates there. Also know, figure out what you want going into it. I think that helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So when you were at um, McCarter and English, where you are now, what steps did you take while still an associate to kind of set you up to become partner? I know that you became partner this past year, right? Yeah. Yes. So it's pretty new and exciting. And mm-hmm. um, you were there for a few years before then. So kind of tell us what you did and advice people might be able to do at their firm to set them up too. Sure. So my advice is that I didn't start at McCarter. Um, so I started that process when I was in my clerkship thinking about, okay, what do you want to do, Cisha? Yeah. And my goal was, okay, I know that there are not um, a lot of women who look like me, who are from my background, who are partners. Again, I mean, you can't see me, but a Black woman <laughs> from Boston <laughs> who went to, you know, Boston Public Schools. And so I went to a charter school um, for high school. Shout out to Natch. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I got involved, again, heavily in community organizations. Networking becomes key. It yes. is really critical. I can't um, say that enough. That is such a big thing. Early on, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was as important, but I see that more as the years go on. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, it's networking intentionally. Um, so at times, you know, there are people that you want to meet, right. Uh, but it's also just networking to network, right. And meeting other folks in the industry, because you never know where they're going to land. Yes. Um, and you know, they may not be, you know, the Mo Cowan of the world yet, but (laughs) they might be on their way. Yeah, not yet, right. You never know. So you always, another, you know, aside, always be nice to folks when you're at a networking event. Um, <laughs> Needless to and, say. <laughs> oh, yeah. And including staff or like, you know, uh, uh, service staff. I mean, sometimes people are just like. Rude. Yeah, really, really rude. And I will never forget going backwards and then I'll I'll, I'll go back to what the original question was. <laughs> Um, but you know when I was at my internship with Judge Crassley in my review one of the things he wrote was all of you know the staff members at the court from court officers to the clerks absolutely loved Stisha like you know and right well thanks um and they were like but she you know and he he made a note to write you know that they felt like very like respected you know um that they were on an equal playing field as the judge and I mean that's just how I approach things 
Like, I'm never going to say, well, you know, you're the secretary. I'm not going to pay attention. Okay, like, no, yeah. I mean, you probably actually know more than a lawyer. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, they see all the things, that, yeah, behind the scenes. Right, right. And so I, I think that that is important. So networking, I, again, we cannot stress enough, network, network, network. And if you don't know how to network, no worries, because I didn't either. <laughs> you <Yeah>. learn. <laughs> <laughs> find some folks who you think are doing a really good job at networking and ask them for tips and that's a whole nother segment and um I will probably turn I know to we could be here all day to talk right Stacia yeah yeah. yeah yeah so we'll talk about we'll, we'll, we'll reserve that conversation. we'll bring you back we'll bring you back um, um but, yeah and then the, the only other thing that I would say in terms of how I you know made partner is well actually there's two more things one, in that networking, I wanted to also set myself up so that I can develop business. Right. And, you know, again, be intentional about saying, this is the area that I practice in. This is what I am doing. Oh, here's a new case that came out. You know, I'm forwarding it to someone who I know is in-house um, or, hey, there is the CLE. Do you want to attend it together? Or I'm putting on this you know, uh, presentation, do you want me to come by and, you know, present it to you and your team? Um, and so doing that early on really helps and sets you apart. Um, and then the other thing is, and I, I can't stress this enough, and this actually should have been the first thing I said, which is you got to do good work. You got to know what you're doing. Yes. Um, yep. <laughs> so you can, you can develop business all you want. You could, you know, be a great advocate in the community, but if you can't write, <laughs> yeah that's that not gonna help, help. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good point to say that that's probably the first place to start you know have a good foundation being a good writer being a good legal researcher doing a good job then mm -hmm. your personality and your good morals and everything about you will set you apart with the networking so that's right. um, awesome. And I did cool. want to ask, I don't know if you saw on Netflix, the partnership track uh, show. Have you seen it? I have not. So um, when you said that I have now two children, I mean, my, <laughs> my second is brand spanking new, hasn't not even a month old yet. Um, and so I've been a little preoccupied. Understandable. Um, but I do have it on my queue. So I do plan to watch yes, it. Yes, it was a good show. I watched it. Me and my fiance watched it. And I just thought it was interesting. It's more about M&A mergers and acquisitions. Mm. But uh, I mean, it's like any show. They make it try to be very dramatic. But I was wondering if you thought it was similar to Partnership Track. I would say, based on what I saw, similar in the sense that only a certain number get picked based on your graduation year. Not every firm is like that. That's more big law. But um, I think the tips you shared today will help anybody on their road to partnership track, regardless of what the show says. And I hope for all our listeners, their track to partnership track is a lot less dramatic than the <laughs> Netflix show. So um Thanks for that and all your tips on how to become a partner. Do you have anything else that you think would help a first year just starting out, figure out somewhere they want to land for a partner? Um, I know with me, I felt that sometimes you see people stay there forever and you're like, okay, as a first year, is that the only place I'll get partner? I found that's not mm -hmm. true. You know, mm -hmm. you can start somewhere. It might not be the right fit or the right practice area. And you want to go to a place that has that nothing against the firm, but just more right. so what you envision. Um, so I would recommend to people 
just finding the right fit. I think that's such a big mm-hmm. thing. And if it takes you a couple of years, that's okay too. But mm-hmm. um, wanted to also echo your sentiments that about mid year as an associate, you probably want to start settling down, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other part of it too, um, is that you have to recognize that the firm is your first client. Yes. And, and so in terms of doing good work, in terms of networking, all of those things that I've just talked about, that actually needs to happen at home first. And the home is that firm. Um, because the same people that you are networking with your colleagues are the ones who are going to decide whether or not to bring you into the partnership. Yes. Yeah, no, that definitely great advice to think about for all our listeners. Now we kind of know what the best tips are to make that path to partnership track. If that's your choice, if that yep. isn't your choice, we'll have a lot of other episodes on different legal careers, but today we're focusing on that. But I wanted to transition a little bit and focus on gender disparities in the legal industry, but also litigation. We both work in litigation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's a well-known fact that we are in a largely male dominant career path. Um, I think anyone would agree with that. So I just want to share like your insights with us on that. I know I have some stories to tell as do you, the good, bad, and the funny. That's the whole point of this, you know, to be mm-hmm. candid and just share things we've seen. But um, yeah, maybe we could just start by, I thought something was interesting, uh, a recent statistic that I saw, which was mm-hmm. a Law 360 glass ceiling report from this year, 2022. And it said, which was pretty shocking to me, but I guess I shouldn't be shocked, unfortunately, um, that only 33.1% of non-equity partners are women Mm. and only 23.4% of equity partners are women. That in 2022 is sad. I don't know how else to say it. Can I add another sad statistic to that? Yes. So, and and I can't quote them because I can't remember what publication it came from, but I, I believe I had quoted it like, um, somewhere in the article. So it, it is confirmed. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we believe you. <laughs> yeah, but um, only, I think, Black women only make up like 1% of partners at major 1%? Partners. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. And how can we sit here and honestly say that we're doing everything we can to promote diversity and inclusion and representation? I... The numbers don't support that. That that's insane. No, no, they don't. And you know, and I think that again, it's a Congress. <laughs> it's like another segment, right? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. What we can talk about in terms of um, earlier intervention for a lot of women. I think one of the things um, that I think contributes to this disparity is the fact that around that mid-year point, you know, women tend to be more burnt out. They've had less opportunities, less of a clear pathway to partner. Um, And so then they think, you know, like, is is it worth it at this point? You know, am I going to continue to invest in a profession that doesn't seem like it's supportive to my needs? Yes. um, And or supportive to my life? Like, you know, me at 25 isn't me now at 36. Mm -hmm. Uh, My life is completely different my priorities are completely different and I I mean I'm sure you and I are going to get to this point but litigation is not necessarily uh family friendly 
Yeah. <laughs> so. Maybe you can go into that a bit more. I can share. I don't have a family yet, but you know, that's my hope. And I hope to be in a place that supports that. Um, what kind of limitations have you seen being a mom and having a family? I wouldn't say limitations more so as you just have to strategize a lot more and um, there's a lot more time management involved and that you probably have to just sleep less. <laughs> so, you're I don't know if that's less. what our listeners want to hear. <laughs> right, right. So you're already sleeping less with the kids. Um, <laughs> and sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but yeah. that reality, I mean, it is what it is, right? That's well, what our industry is at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I have a, um, you know, if, if I have to go pick up my child at three o'clock from daycare, um, that then means that I've lost out on time, you know, doing work and, you know, submitting whatever I need to submit. So then, you know, I'm going to hang out with my kid for a while, but then that means probably when I put them to bed that I have to return Walk to that in. work. Yeah. yeah. So it was really interesting to me when I first started out, there was a male attorney um, who told me that women aren't litigators. And I was really taken aback by that comment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then he went on to say, and that's because, you know, you have to sac oftentimes sacrifice family time. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, and while I'm able to miss a soccer practice and, you know, basketball or a recital, a lot of times women won't miss those things. Mm -hmm. And it then becomes impossible for them to be a litigator because you are not in control of your own schedule. Now, I found that to be really sexist. Yes, 100%. <laughs> um, and, and I was just like, what? You know, and I can say, you know, about 11 years later, I think I understood what he was trying to say. Okay. Um, and and, and then, again, it's only because I now have a family that I can appreciate right, yeah. what he's trying to say. But it still it doesn't mean that women can't be litigators. No, we're fierce. We're, you know... Uh, a force to be reckoned with That's, we yeah. are just as capable and powerful and educated and sometimes more than men um and, <laughs> yeah. but you know I do understand this idea about balance um you know and as a mom will I want to miss my son's football game absolutely not and if my job is telling me I have to miss it each and every time you know for you know three years then that's going to be a problem for me. But I think, again, it goes back to what we were already talking about. What what place are you at? Yeah. You know, like what farm are you at? What, you know, job are you at? You know, what culture? is the flexibility? Yeah, what yeah. is the culture? Do they respect working parents? Do they respect, you know, you having other things going on in your life? So it may not be that you're a parent, but maybe you're on this organization that, you know, is routinely meeting, um, and so I think in terms of, uh, of, of that comment, I get what he is saying. Um, but I think by and large, women can and are litigators. And I think that as long as there's a mutual level of respect of each other's times, and also that, that comment, now that I think about it, it also, you know, discredits men. There's a lot yeah. of men who won't want to miss their children. Yes, I know. Yeah, it's not just one-sided. Right. 
Yeah, no, that is a really telling story. I, I appreciate when people try to be helpful, they think, in the comments they say <laughs> sometimes the delivery is not great or the message mm -hmm. is still not clear. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when I was a first year, I was speaking with a partner and it still resonates with me. And I tell other women partners, I'm not women attorneys this because it's interesting comment that they said, whatever you do, do not have a baby until your partner. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting. Also, how can you guarantee that people go to law school and they already have children? You know what I mean? Right. I think that's very old thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, if we haven't come that far, that's sad. I don't know if that's where I would want to be now in 2022. Um, but I, again, I guess I see what he's saying where, I mean, he didn't go into detail, but as you're sharing, like there's limitations in the sense of scheduling, uh, resources, yep. flexibility, but that also depends on where you work. Right. You know, not every place is like that. Not every place doesn't understand. And it depends on what your goals are as your family, as your career. Mm -hmm. So everyone's different. Right. But yeah, these comments, I don't know. I could probably live <laughs> Maybe without them. to yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but talking about these disparities, it kind of like blows my mind a little bit. And I say that a lot only because I feel like I think of the best in people. And I always hope that people are very active in equality and diversity and representation, but I know that's not always true. But mm -hmm. for our um, episode today, I did pull some statistics because I was also looking at a LinkedIn post the other day, which was interesting about women's reviews at a position, not specifically to the legal industry, just generally. And the mm -hmm. post said 86% of women get commented on their personality during a review, while only 1% to 2% of men do, which I felt was a very large disparity. So I did more research because they didn't really cite to any report. But um, I found a recent report from June 2022 by a company called Textio. And they are kind of a front-running software company on trying to implement software where you can find hidden bias in your company language, whether it's in written reviews, um, policies, et cetera. So this survey was 25,000 people at 250 different organizations. So pretty good representation, I would think. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't know everything. And this one said 100% of women get comments on their personality during a review, while only 75% of men do which I think is interesting. I know mm -hmm. probably every review I've had, they talk about my personality, but you know, I have a big personality. So mm -hmm. I don't know, I never thought of it in a bad way. Have you? Yeah, when you're great, you're great. great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Confidence is not our problem, I guess. Um, but the comment section from the story was very interesting or the report. They said 22% of women had a comment in their review that they were abrasive, while only 2% of men did. Tisha, mm. why mm. is this happening? Why are only women abrasive? Well, um, I think that that is a great question to ask the decision makers um, yes. and or the reviewers. Yeah. Uh, my take on it is, you know, 
it, it it's a fine balance that women have to walk yeah. um and then even in particular in my instance a woman of color um especially in and you wanting to um advocate for yourself yes you wanting to um speak truth to power so if someone is you know uh, maybe saying an incorrect fact correcting them and that being seen as abrasive when if anyone else in the room does it that doesn't look like you it's not abrasive it's you know helpful oh thanks for that uh thanks for that correction yes but yeah. for you um you know it's important you know you have to be measured with your tone you have to be measured with your body language um because again you're afraid of being labeled abrasive and here um it, it, it's it, it's it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by this where only 2% of men get that comment. Um, where... Well, because I think men are expected, right? Men are expected to, you know, and, and again, this is going into the stereotypes that I don't necessarily subscribe to, but the stereotype is men are confident. They can talk over you. They, their opinion is correct. They are speaking with authority. Yeah. Whereas women, it, it's like, oh, well, she is providing her opinion, you know? And so there's a different, uh, a, a level of, 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 I guess, even respect or acceptance of what I'm, I'm seeing as a woman is an opinion, whereas if a man says, says it, it's a fact. Yeah. And I definitely see your point. And I hope companies now are working out this more. I, I know you see it on LinkedIn. You see these posts. We're advocates mm -hmm. for gender equality. We're advocates for LGBTQ. We're advocates for racial diversity. But are we seeing it in the offices? I think that would be interesting to know. This survey kind of suggests otherwise, as, at least in the limited um, feedback they got regarding reviews. But I see mm -hmm. your point where if people in those decision-making positions are falling into those stereotypes, one could see why they would say a woman comes across more abrasive because that's not what they're used to, I guess. Yep. Um, but I do hope places are working on that. And then just some other information where uh, it said in the survey that 54% of men get the comment that they're confident, while only 18% of women do what that doesn't even I don't get that I mean I understand need, not everyone's confident but that's well a big they need difference. to meet the women that I hang out with because <laughs> Same, right yeah we're like who are the who not are like the confidence women? let me tell you <laughs> yeah I was surprised that's a big difference in percentages and then this one was even more uh they said 63 percent of men got feedback in the review that they were noted as being ambitious and only 17% of women were noted to be ambitious. Again, what? I feel like, I don't know who they surveyed, but that seems like a big pool. I am kind mm -hmm. of, I, there's something wrong here from what I can see. Oh, absolutely something wrong. I'm not shocked. I, yeah, I, I'm never shocked by these statistics. I mean, we, like I live them, um, you know, and my friends have lived them. My colleagues have lived them. Oftentimes, you know, and in, in when I was, um, you know, president of the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association, we um, rolled out this Real Talk series. Um, and we That's would cool. have conversations. Yeah. And it was great. We would have conversations around, you know, like, like 
how is race really regarded and how are you impacted when you are talking about, you know, um, events like George Floyd? Um, And what is the reception and, you know, how do you move past, you know, this trauma that you're experiencing on the outside and then navigating your, your, your way in your workplace? Um, when the topic arises. And so for me to see these statistics about, you know, confidence, well, that's another topic that we've always talked about, which is, you know, again, this tightrope that you have. So, you know, there's already negative stereotypes associated with being a Black woman as being, you know, abrasive or loud or, you know, whatever else, you know, that they subscribe to Black women. And so when I go into an interview, I'm thinking, okay, how do I be confident but not arrogant? Yeah. Because a lot of times for me, I can't say the same things as, yes. you know, a white male because then I'm seen as arrogant. Yeah, um, great, great comment on that because even in this survey, they had a, uh, a fact that Black women are four times more likely to receive feedback as being, quote, overachiever, quote, than white <laughs> men why the one I guess why is that a bad thing and two why is that associated four times more with a black woman than a white man right and I and I guarantee you they probably have like identical resumes yes Um, and so they're probably doing the same thing thing. it it, it is just interpreted very differently and so again it goes back to you know having candid conversations with decision makers having candid conversations with people who are you know supervising and reviewing um you know other employees to say like you know think about language think about like perception and this idea that bias doesn't seep in is just a myth it does it does to Um, everywhere unfortunately you know yeah right so the real question is, okay, we know that bias is going to seep in. How do we check it? Yes. Yeah. And I think, I don't know this company myself, the Textio, but it does seem like they're trying to help companies find that hidden bias, that language at least mm-hmm. that would um, create stereotypes or disadvantages based on feedback. So things to look into. Um, and I appreciate everything you're sharing where, one question I have is how can we be allies to women, non-binary people, um, people who don't identify, you know, how can we be allies, especially in the legal profession? Um, I I can start by sharing, I think mm-hmm. one good point is sharing opportunities. Yeah. Um, I always love the quote that says um, you want to know people that in a room of opportunity, they'll say your name. And I, mm. I agree with that a hundred percent. I want to have people sit next to me that I talk with, whether it's on LinkedIn, email in person, that if I am a good person and close with them in a opportunity setting, they will say my name, not in a situation where they're going to talk badly about you. So I think one thing I would do is share opportunities with people. I do that now if I see postings, if I know places are hiring, even if it's for a board opportunity, I'm like, oh, I know you're really interested in this charity. Like you should think about joining. I've heard great things. Um, And recently I've even been trying to help some law students that reach out. I always did that too. They want to do informational interviews. I brought somebody with Mm -hmm. me to a mass DLA event. 
everyone was like, oh, are you an associate somewhere? Where do you work? And I was like, oh, I wanted to bring her with me. She's from Quinnipiac in uh, Connecticut. She wants to come back to Boston, trying to get connections. Mm -hmm. So being mm -hmm. somebody that supports people, we can all be up here. That's what I said. I feel like we can all be up there. Yeah. No, I mean, there's room at the table. Yeah. Um, they can bring up more tables. So, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I like that. They can bring up more tables. Um, and, and, you know, something that you said that, you know, would have actually been my advice of how we can be allies is, you know, sharing opportunities. More importantly, I find that the opportunity should be like, not just the soft stuff. So like, hey, you know, um, although I think it's still absolutely credible and needed, yes, yeah. which is bringing people to events, but saying, here is a case that I am thinking of um, that I can't take. I want to refer it to you. Or here is a client, or let me bring you on a pitch. You know, yeah. those things that, you know, naturally happen for a lot of, um, of, of other lawyers that for some reason or another, you don't really find with women, um, lawyers um and i'm not saying all women lawyers but you know oftentimes i feel like you know a lot of you know my contacts initially came from um you know males who would say hey i want you to um, work on this opportunity to pitch a case with me um and i didn't find that so much with women i do find that now and i think that there's been more of a concerted effort um to ensure that we are providing avenues for all of us to grow. I have heard um, sometimes that women are almost harder on women. I don't know. I don't, I haven't had that. Yeah. Ever. I have heard that it's almost like, I don't know, because they had to go through it. They think it's, we should struggle too. I don't know. This is just me speculating. Um, but mm -hmm. I have heard um, some colleagues been having gone through that in their careers and I do find it interesting. I'm the type that agreed. I think everyone can be in that position if they want that, if they're doing everything they can to help promote their themselves, but also the integrity of being a lawyer, being a good person. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I hear what you're saying where you don't always get those opportunities, sometimes even with, from women. So things that yeah. we need to keep into the forefront of our mind. And then I also share with um, being a good advocate is a way to be an mm -hmm. ally. Um, if you're in a meeting and you saw somebody do a good thing, boast them, be their hype person. I always try to do that. Um, oh. If I see some good work, even if I'm not in a decision-making position and I talk to somebody, I'm like, hey, I saw somebody do this. That's awesome. CC the mm -hmm. partner on the email. Oh, great win on this motion I saw you do the other day. You know, anything yeah. helps. Um, or even, yes. even when you're networking, being an advocate. So anytime that I would introduce, um, you know, either it's my mentee or just a friend to someone else, yeah. I would like literally like you said be their hype person <laughs> like like hey here's so-and-so she's at x firm she you know just won x award and um she's in this community and like you know before that person can even they, they, like the two people can even exchange a hello yeah. i've already given a bio yeah um yes. because i really want to make sure that you know the connection sticks um, and so like yeah, being an advocate is really important and it's not enough to just say, Hey, you know, 
me crest. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. anyone could yeah. do that. You know, sure. they could go to an event and say their name is whatever. And I, that's great advice. And I do hope our listeners on Wicked Good Lawyers today take from this that not only are we women, we're also allies to women, any yeah. person in the legal industry that wants to help other people. That's kind of our platform. Um, oh, yeah. So- this was really great to share about the gender disparities. I do hope people are working on this. I know I try to be an advocate and an ally. So um, mm-hmm. I hope we just keep moving on up, right? Well, and and can we also say in being allies, I think it's to check other people's bias. So again, going back to that that comment, um, and I know that you have experienced this. Um, I don't even need to ask. You're always... Uh, you know, misidentified. So, you know, I walk into a courtroom. I'm never oh, the lawyer. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> like, this happened you know. the other day on the phone. I had called uh, an opposing party's office and was speaking with their, um, I want to say secretary. And mm-hmm. they were like, okay, like, I'll send this along. Are you the paralegal on the case? And I said, oh, no, I'm the attorney on the case. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. You sound, one, they are about to say, a girl mm. and then two they're just like you sound uh young but yeah you must be young and they were trying to like save themselves but yes yeah well let me let me give you one worse <laughs> I mean I'm sure we have like we can go tip for tap with the yeah right yeah having worse stories I walked into um, um a deposition with my client mind you my client is wearing street clothes I am in a suit have my attache everything else um the receptionist sees me and then she says to me to me are you the court reporter oh I don't know what I mean like I don't have like you know like yeah I have like a little suitcase thing but not like a big one with a computer in it right and so I'm just like baffled by this and then she goes to my client are you the attorney because again she cannot this this was woman he a male? no it was a woman oh interesting um, and she just refused, though, to accept that I was the lawyer. And then we walk into the room. The court reporter is already set up. So, like, the fact of the matter is the court reporter. Like, the court reporter is in the room. But your mind immediately computed, I must be the court reporter. <laughs> like, you could not be the attorney. That wouldn't make any no, sense. No. That's, um, I mean, that's you know. disappointing. That is, Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. we could sit here all day on stories, which, I mean, women, we've experienced this for a long time. I don't know how often this happens to men, but I hear the stories more from women and I experience them more firsthand. So mm-hmm. um, I do hope we strive to do better every day for every person in the legal industry. So these are just some stories to share with our listeners. And then just to close things out, um, mm-hmm. You gave such great advice today on your experience, what you do in the office, in the courtroom, also in the community. Uh, what advice would you give to a one else starting off in this amazing profession? Be true to yourself. Um, when you are your most authentic version, that is what shines. Um, and it's okay because there will be an organization and or a firm that needs that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and so like some firms, you know, 
you go in, you have to wear a three-piece suit every day. And if that's not, you know, your style, you know, or your vibe, then that's not maybe the fun for you. But then you might find one that, you know, has casual Fridays or like, you know, have all of these themes going on that, you know, it speaks more to your personality and your fit. So I think it's more important to be your authentic self because then you do better. Yes. Um, that you'll want to be at that place more. Um, you'll learn more and you'll be less stressed. I mean, our litigation is stressful enough. <laughs> Don't add to it by trying to then fix who you are. Yeah, that's such great advice, being yourself. And you also do better work when you are your true self. You can put your best foot forward for yourself, your office, and your clients. So that's really nice to share. And what advice would you give a first year who's hoping to become a partner somewhere? Um, yeah, that it's a long road. It's not quick. Um, and even the business development is not quick. I equate it to, you know, um, planting a tree. You gotta, you know, get the seed ready. You gotta put it in the dirt. You gotta water it. You gotta nurture it. And then at times it may start to look like, oh shoot, this tree is not going to grow. <laughs> yeah. That might happen um, a lot actually. Right. Um, or even when it does grow, guess what? Seasons change, so then the leaves falls off, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, just continue to go at it and just realize that it is a long road that you will have people there to support you if you tell us um, that, you know, this is, you know, a goal that you're aspiring to and that you don't have to do it alone. Um, and then, you know, again, just keep keep your pace and, you know, some years will be better than others. Um, and yeah. then also... Yeah. And then reach out because one of the things I always say uh, is everyone sees all, when they look at your resume, they see your accomplishments, but written in that resume is an invisible ink are all of your failures mm -hmm. and all of your challenges. And you should ask people about that um, because it, it will make you feel better when you're growing your tree that, that everyone else has experienced the same hurdles that you have. Yeah. That's so Nice to hear, especially where, I mean, in this industry, it can't get cutthroat. It's stressful. Mm -hmm. Just knowing you have other people who have been through challenging things and they pick up themselves every day and they try to be better every day. It's it's a rewarding career, I would say. I mean, even mm -hmm. the good and the bad, in the end, I really enjoy what I do. And I think it's so special where we're in a legal profession that has diversity, not only with the people, but also the work, the places you can work. So really the sky's the limit. I mean, you can start off thinking you want to do education reform and <laughs> a partner. So you never know. Right. Um, and I would also share with first years that don't feel like you have to know what you're doing right away. Just mm -hmm. be willing to work hard, be a good person, put in the time um, and know your worth. I think that's yep. helpful. And being your own advocate, you will always have allies with you, but sharing, especially first year, this is what I'm interested in long-term. I think I want to be a partner someday. And how can you set yourself up to get there? Talk to people who've done it. Um, yep. Reach out to people in your networks and I always like to reach out to people who have my dream job. 
when I was in school and say, how did you get there? Which is what I get to do now on my podcast. So this is so great. Um, thanks for all your advice, Sadisha. And for our Wicked Good Lawyer listeners, um, my show ends each week with a three under three. So mm-hmm. asking my three questions within three minutes, Sadisha, what is your okay. favorite restaurant? Oh, listen, uh, my husband, uh, you know, jokes all the time that I'm the most plain eater. Um, <laughs> and, and I am. So uh, right now I would say TGI Friday. Yes. Okay. What What do you like there? Oh my gosh. Their ribs are amazing. <laughs> okay. That's good. And what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Um, it's changed, <laughs> uh, you know, having Especially with a, the five-year-old, yeah. a five-year-old and a three-week-old, um, <laughs> what spare time, um, but no, <laughs> what is I, spare time, yes, I, right. I guess I should have that, yeah, <laughs> right, is that when I sleep, um, <laughs> so I would say under normal circumstances, um, you know, beyond going to church, it's, my, my husband and I are huge football fans. And okay. so NFL all day, every day. Sunday is church and then football. That's it. Nice. Um, and, Do you have a favorite team? Oh, come on. Patriots. Yes. Okay. Good choice. Good <laughs> choice. Through and through. And through. Um, although <laughs> I, I married someone who um, is a Dolphins fan. So Interesting. Okay. I, can you imagine? We we go at it during <laughs> the season. Um. And then, you know, reading, dancing is, you know, passion. Oh, yeah. What yeah. type of dancing? Um, I've done a, pretty much a lot, everything but like ballet. So any like, I like the variety. Dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And then the last question is, what's your best memory about being a lawyer? Um, It's not one memory. It's a combination of memories. And that really is just when my pro bono clients in particular um after the resolution of a case will always say thank you for listening and and you know that's important because i think a lot of times we forget that as lawyers we're so busy advocating that also it's important to listen Mm -hmm. and so making clients feel empowered by listening um is really empowering to me so that's one of my and that's a great way to end our show. Uh, I appreciate you so much for joining us today, Cisha, especially because this is our first episode and you're oh. so empowering and I love all the work you do. So oh. this is awesome. I'm so, going to make sure my family listens to this so that they can give me these accolades. <laughs> yes. No, just send this to everyone. I hope we get lots of listeners and subscribers to the show. If people are looking to reach out to you, Cisha, what's the best email address? Sure. So um, and I have a unique name, so I'll spell it for you. S-T-E-S-H-A. Um, and you can find me on McCarter and English's website. And my email is semanuel at mccarter.com. Awesome. Also, check her out on LinkedIn. I know you're really active. So yes. um, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me.